So there's the great white throne judgment. Average individual say, when is that? Are you going to be there? And then there's the judgment seat of Christ. It's a different judgment. When's that one? Are you going to be there? How about the goat and sheep, sheep and goat judgment? When's that one? Are you going to be in that one? Uh, and then there's a couple more. And so sometimes, well, I'm not sure which one I'll be in, when I'll be in it. The term judge is a, a key word, number one in your notes. God is the judge. And circle the. He's the judge. That is who he is. That's what he does. And so when we talk about uh, the attributes of God, that words that describe him, we use the word God is love. There's a number of different uh, terms that describe God's nature, what he does, who he is, God is sovereign. And one of them that doesn't get included a lot is God is the judge. He is judge. Ultimately, he judges everything and everybody. So in our country, we have judges. We have the federal court system and then we have this, the state uh, court system. And in each of them, there are three layers and both the state and the federal end up at the Supreme Court. And so in our state, I didn't realize this, I just did a little reading here a while back because I was seeing things about, uh, about being appointed. Uh, well, what do these dudes do and which ones involve me? And uh, there's 177 judges in the state of Oregon. 15 of them are in Marion County. And uh, if you want to appeal whatever happens in that lowest level of circuit courts, then you go up to the, the next level. Um, and then you go up to the next, which was the Supreme Court in Oregon. The appeals court has 13 judges, and the Supreme Court has seven judges. So you've got 177, 13, and 7, the federal. Uh, you have the uh, 94 district courts. Then you have 13 circuit courts, and then you have one Supreme Court. And so there's these levels that you go through. And so if you say in the Supreme Court of the United States, you've got nine. But over every judge, there is one judge. That's God. What's a judge do? What's his purpose? Basically to declare what is right and what is wrong. What is right, what is wrong, and then to uh, declare the consequence, the penalty, if you do that which is wrong. So every time you go to a, a court case, if you were speeding, they say, yep, you're guilty. You did it. And this is the consequence. You're going to pay a ticket of $10 million or whatever it is. Now, we like judges to be just. That is, they are accurate in their assessment of right and wrong, and the consequence or the reward fits uh, the crime. And so, ultimately, God does that. First Chronicles 16, 14, I'll just read some verses quickly here. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. 
Psalm 7:11, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. Psalms 35, 24, judge me, O Lord my God, according to your righteousness. Psalms 50, verse 6, the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Psalm 75, 7, God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. Psalms 82, 8, arise, O God, the judge of the earth, for it is you who possesses all the nations. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 12, 14, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil, whether it is good or evil, that's what judges do. Romans chapter 2, verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. The righteous judgment of God who will render, render to each person according to his deeds. That's what a judge does. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Number two, God judges us as we live our life and rewards and disciplines accordingly. So there's a judgment that happens every day in regards to what we do choices we make. And uh, Paul put it this way. He said, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. Now that's in this life. Whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. There's uh, rewards or blessings, over 50 references to blessing in the Bible, and there's always condition behind that blessing. Blessed is the man who does this. Blessed is the man who does this. That's in this life God blesses. And then he also disciplines or brings consequence. Hebrews chapter 12 says, You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. That's a Christian, someone that's in the family of God. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? <clears throat> so we might just call that judgments of life or in life or during life. Now, <clears throat> one of the things about this judgment in life, it's not totally fair. You say, what? Yep, it's just not totally fair. There are going to be some things that don't get resolved until after life. There's some things that just don't get resolved, and it just creates this tension in us. But you've heard that phrase, life isn't fair? It will be. But sometimes it doesn't get resolved until uh, it's over, but it all gets resolved. It all sooner or later does. Number three, the fear of the Lord is understanding that God is the judge, and we will all stand before Him and be judged. That's one of the questions I get asked over and over and over again as a pastor. What does that word in the Bible mean about the fear of God? I said, oh, well, I'll tell you what it means in the Greek or the Hebrew. It means to fear God. <laughs> fear, that means to be afraid. Uh, that's pretty much what it means. 
Revelation 14, 7, and he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. So fear, judgment, they go together. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That means do what's right because if you don't, there's a consequence for doing it. God rewards and God disciplines in this life and at, in the next when we are, stand before Him as His and are judged by Him. Proverbs 14, 27, The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life, that one may avoid the snares of death. <clears throat> Luke 12, 4. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more, th uh, no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast you into hell. I tell you, fear him. And so, that's Jesus speaking. So who should we fear? The one who can give us eternal life or eternity in the lake of fire. Number four, the most basic of all judgments of God is are we in the family of God or not? Are we in or out? That judgment will take place at the point of death. When you die, there is a judgment. The judgment is, are you in the family of God? Are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? Every person will face that judgment. By the way, wouldn't you think that would be fairly sad, thinking that you were going to do well in that judgment, that you were going to be uh, headed for heaven only to find out that you're not? And Jesus tells that about those who have that expectation and his words to them Depart from me, I don't know who you are. There are a lot of pseudo-Christians in our country especially because they don't really understand what it means to be a believer. They tend to think that believe in Jesus means to give mental assent to an historical fact. That was they believe in Jesus the same way they believe in Abraham Lincoln. That's not what John 3.16 means. And so it's important that we understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I like to use different words than the word believe because we don't really understand that biblical word believe anymore. I like the word follow Jesus. That's a great one. Or love him. Do you love Jesus? That's a one that takes a little bit more thought to answer the question whether you're in or out. Hebrews 9.27, Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, after this comes judgment. So you die, then judgment. The judgment is simple. That's all there is. You're in or out of the family of God. John three seventeen, God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, he's not, not saying not judged, but he's saying that the, the judgment uh, is not like the world's judgment. 2 Thessalonians 1.5, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, of God's righteous judgment, so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. 
for which indeed you are suffering, for after all it is only just, only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty, penalty that's what judges do, the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power. So that's a judgment that we all will face at the point of death. Are we in heaven? Are we in hell? Number five, failing this basic judgment means we will spend all eternity separated from God in torment. So it's... Um, people will ask me occasionally, Pastor D, sometimes I just wonder if I'm really saved. And so, if you think about it, what's the best thing to do? Oh, yeah, really, you are. No problem. I know you. Or, well, if you wonder, maybe you're not. Let's take care of it. People ask me when I became a Christian. I said, I don't know. I got saved about 100 times. Every time I went to vacation Bible school, they gave an invitation. I raised my hand to ask Jesus in my heart. Summer camp. They had an invitation. I went forward, picked up a pine cone, threw it in the fire. I mean, I got saved all the way up until I was 13, and I don't know which one of them took. I even got saved a couple times after that. Uh, just think, oh, man. And so sometimes people will say, oh, you know, don't worry. Man, if you're doubting, let's do it. You never know. Better to be safe than sorry. If you're already saved and you get saved again, no big deal. But if you're not and you do, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. So it's important to know for sure. It's a relationship thing. It's not just a head knowledge uh, being able to pass a quiz. And so do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Uh, is there an intimacy? Or is it simply the fact that you can answer some questions? It's not just a, a right or wrong quiz thing. It's a walk with him, follow him, love him. You've been saved, adopted into the family of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And so there's a relationship, there's an intimacy, and there's a growing love that takes place in those who are genuinely born again. Uh, Luke 16, 22, Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades. He lifted up his eyes, being in torment. He saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I'm ag I in agony in this flame. Two people died, go to different places. Who decided? Is it just sort of an eeny, meeny, miny, moe? Or, okay, you're in, you're out. Oh, oh too bad, you're in the wrong rotation. <laughs> you go down. Now everyone, God decides. He chooses. Number six, some see the judgment of God and the fear of the Lord as an oppressive doctrine. I have a couple of words I don't like. It's not that they're bad words. It's just that I, they get abused so much and they just mess people up in their understanding of the big picture. And... Uh, one of those words is legalism. 
Uh, oh, that's legalism. That's legalism. Anything that requires some discipline is legalism. Anything that requires sacrifice, that's legalism. Anything that has the idea of do this rather than this, oh, that's legalism. And uh, so sometimes people will say, that's, I say, do you know what that word means? Uh, Following rules. Oh, no, 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 no. There's lots of rules. Did you know that Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will obey my commandments? What's that? Legalism? He says, that's what you will do if you love him, is obey his commandments. Legalism is attempting to earn your way to heaven by good works. Are you a believer in Jesus? Yeah, okay, then check that word. You're past it. You're in. By faith, faith alone. Now we're not talking about getting to heaven anymore. That's a done deal. Now we're talking about growing in character. Now we're talking about bearing fruit. Now we're talking about serving Jesus. So quit with the word legalism. If you're in and you know it and you've trusted in my faith, legalism isn't needed. That's earning your way to heaven. So I'm in. So now... I'm striving. I'm disciplining myself. I'm practicing basic disciplines. I'm writing goals. I'm disciplining my body, making it my slave, lest after I preach to others, I myself would be disqualified. I'm examining my life for sin and confessing it to God. I'm reading my Bible every day and spending time in God in prayer every day. None of those things my flesh likes, so I have to work at it. That's not legalism. That's just pursuing Christ. That's pursuing maturity. It's wanting to do something with your life that matters. The other word that kind of goes along with it, and it's kind of bad to say you don't like the word because it's such an important word, but it's not because of the word itself. It's just because of the way it's used. Is the word grace. It's, it's just like, huh, I'm saved by grace. And so those who say that, check works. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to attempt anything. I don't have to set a goal. I don't have to serve. I don't have to give. I'm saved by grace. So it's the same answer. You're in. You're going to heaven. So now we're going to labor and work and pursue and do something that matters. Number seven, God's goal is to make us like Him in character, and we must pursue it for life change to happen. Pursue it. Without impending judgment and the fear of the Lord, we will just coast. So he has a goal. Make me like himself because he wants to enjoy me. And the more like him I am, the more he will enjoy me. Wants me to bear much fruit. And there's a judgment to see how much I have and intended to motivate. Number eight, those who understand and accept the doctrine of God's judgment aren't paralyzed by fear. They're motivated to action and obedience. <clears throat> we get to talking the other day about old age. And I'm not there yet, but close. 72, when I hit 73, I'll be old, but... Maybe that'll change to 74. I don't know. We'll see. And so we were talking about the consequences of getting old. You know, it's hard to get out of bed. Your muscles ache. 
uh, you can't remember things and you can't find your glasses. And somebody said, you know the biggest deal I have with old age is I just kind of don't have any motivation. Just lost my motivation. And someone said, ask me how I was in that department. I said, if I were any more motivated, I'd be dangerous. And the reason isn't because I'm just that way. It's because every morning when I get up, I say, today I'm going to live the la- this is my last day on earth before I stand before you, Jesus, and give an account. Give an account of my life. And I'm recompensed, rewarded for the deeds I've done in the body, whether good or bad. I want as many rewards as I can get. So I don't have a lot of time left, so I need to shift it into high gear. In fact, I get it in high gear. I'm going to see if I can find a higher one and do a little bit more. I may not have that much energy, but I got a whole lot more wisdom than I used to 20 years ago. And so I should be able to accomplish more every single day. I'm motivated, not out of any sense of emotion or feeling. I'm motivated because of the finish line. And it's getting close, and I want to do well. Number nine, grace isn't simply a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's everything we need to grow and bear much fruit. First Corinthians 15:10, "By the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God with me." That's a cool verse. I am what I am by the grace of God, but I labored more than anybody, everybody, but not me, the grace of God. It's like, well, which is it? The grace of God or you labored more than any? It's, they kind of just go together. Uh, you can't have one without the other as you live life. Number 10, after the rapture, every Christian will be part of the judgment seat of Christ. So after the rapture, first thing, we get a new body. And we're going someplace. I don't know how long it takes to get there. And when we get there, the first order of business is the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we, that's us, the church, we must, there's no options, you can't opt out of it, all appear, appear. You ever see that on a ticket? You must appear at such and such a place at such and such a time uh, before the judge. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one, each one, no exceptions, may be recompensed, rewarded, paid for his deeds, his deeds, his works. So, that's legalism. I know it's good deeds. It's right actions. Because we're going to be recompensed for the deeds in the body. That's this thing. According to what we've done, whether good or bad. We, each of us, are going to stand before Jesus and give an account and be rewarded, recompensed for what we've done in the body. Romans 14, but you, why do you judge your brother? You, again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we, that's all of us, no exceptions, we must all stand before the judgment seat of God. We stand there before Him. It is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. Then each one of us will give an account, an account, 
of himself to God. What did you do with what God gave you? What did you do with the gifts, the abilities, the opportunities, the money, the time? What did you do with it? 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. He will disclose the motives of our heart for what we've done. Then the praise that we receive will come from him, the rewards. 1 Corinthians 3.13, each man's work, 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 that's not legalism, work, which will become evident the day, that's the day we stand before Jesus, will show it. It is to be revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work, which he has built upon it, remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, suffer loss. That's at the judgment seat of Christ. We will suffer loss. He himself will be saved. He's just saved by faith and grace. But yet so is through fire. That is, everything you've ever done is burned up and you enter heaven smelling like smoke. Number 11, the rewards or consequences we receive at the judgment seat of Christ will take into, will, we will take into the millennium. Now, after the millennium, sequence events. Here we are today, then we're going to get raptured, then we're going to get a new body, and then there's going to be the judgment seat of Christ, and then there's going to be a period of time in which we are uh, hanging out with Jesus and the tribulation has happened down here, and then at the end of the tribulation, Jesus comes back, we come back with him, and the devil is, uh, was conquered, he throws in a lake of fire, and we have a thousand years of awesome great time ruling and reigning with Jesus. At the end of the thousand years, the devil is released for a short time. There's another big battle, and he's thrown into the pit, and there's the, another judgment, the great white throne judgment. And then eternity, it says the new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven, the old earth are all destroyed, and we have all new things, and eternity ushers in. Somebody says, what's that like? I don't have, I don't have a clue. There's like virtually nothing in the Bible other than it's going to be. New heavens and new earth. After that, it's a total mystery. We just get to wait and see. So when we talk about eternity, we're mostly talking about the millennial kingdom for a thousand years. <clears throat> I'll give you some, uh, some of the rewards. A, we will each receive uh, degrees of glory. We're created with glory. We lost it when we sin. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We crave glory. God created us in His image and in His likeness for glory, and He will give us glory at the judgment seat of Christ. He will give us glory at the judgment seat of Christ. His glory, we get it for what we've done with our life. And uh, some will get a lot, some will get none. 1 Corinthians 15, there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. Star differs from star and glory. Star differs from star and glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Uh, there are going to be big differences between those who receive a lot of glory and those who receive none based on how we've lived our life now. That's His praise for us that lasts for a thousand years. Romans 8, 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us or given to us. 1 Peter 1, 6, In this you greatly rejoice, even, thou know, uh, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may re may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Some will get a bunch and some will get none. He will tell stories about us to everybody that's there. Can you imagine the scene? Jesus says, stop what you're doing. And he tells a story about Bob Kill. Everybody cheers. Yeah! And okay, go back to business. Later he says, stop what you're doing. And he tells a story about Jerry. Everybody clears and just goes on like that. Can you imagine listening to everybody's story and never having one told about you? You just listen to everybody else and clap and cheer for them, but you don't have any stories because you didn't do anything uh, that withstood the fire. Um, be a major reward is how close we will be to Jesus, both physically and relationally. <clears throat> Jesus had the favored disciple, the most beloved John, then there was Peter and James, and then there were the 12, and then there were the 70, and then there were 120. They got to go into the upper room, and then there were the 500 that saw him when he was alive. There were just circles of relationship. The 12 with him everywhere he went. Peter was, his, the, I mean, John was the closest, the beloved. He got to take care of Jesus' mother after he died on the cross. When we get there, that's going to be the same. And there are going to be those that are close, hit his right hand, and then farther and farther and farther away. As I've said this so many times before, I don't expect to be number one, but I sure don't want to be dead last. Somebody is. <clears throat> Mark 10, 37, the disciples, they, uh, Peter and James said, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. Now, Jesus didn't say that nobody was or everybody was going to be equal. He just sort of gave them instructions on how to make that happen. He said, in this life, we lord it over each other. If you want to be first in the kingdom, then be, make yourself last here. If you make yourself first here, you're, you're, you're apt to end up last in the kingdom. Revelation 3.21, he who overcomes, that's not a salvation word. That word, Greek word, nikeo, means to give it all you got to be the winner. He who overcomes, I will grant to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He was an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so sitting with him on his throne is a gift. It's a reward that we receive at the judgment seat of Christ. Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves. Let's see. I missed some. Um, number C. During the millennium, we will each have responsibility, occupation, which is being determined now and revealed at the judgment. <clears throat> So I'm going to be in charge of fishing. You know, if you ask, what would you like to do? That's what I would say. And so we're going to have jobs, op, uh, occupations, things that we're going to do, and uh, they're going to have levels of responsibility attached to them, depending on how we've done here. Uh, Luke 19:17. He said to him, "Well done, good slave, because you've been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over ten cities." Authority over ten cities. You get to be the mayor. D, we will have possessions during the millennium which are being earned in this life. <clears throat> We're going to be on a real world with real people, uh, with stuff, and we actually are going to own things. We're going to have a place to live. 
Matthew 6, 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth uh, nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. Now he uses physical things, moth, rust, thieves, moth, rust, thieves. This is on earth, this is in heaven. And how do you do that? Store up things in heaven. It's pretty simple. You just give. And last week, we had special offering, many of you gave. And Paul says that we're storing up for ourselves a future uh, that goes into our account that we have in heaven. E, there will be levels of joy that we experience in the millennium. Most think that just getting in the door will be ultimate joy. <clears throat> a lot of naive thinking about it, the kingdom. It's simplistic in regards to just get in. Nothing else matters. Oh, there's a whole lot of things that matter. Matthew 25, 14, 40. It's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves. And this is Jesus telling a story about himself. He's getting ready to leave, go back to heaven. And he trusts his possessions to them. To one he gave five, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on this journey. So Jesus took off. Immediately the one who had received the five went and traded with them and gained five more. In the same manner, the one who had, gained, who had received two gained two more. The one who had won, he dug a hole in the ground, hid his master's money. Now after a long time, long time, we're still waiting. The master comes back. Settles accounts with them. The judgment seat of Christ. The one who had received the five talents came, brought them to him, and saying, Master, you entrusted five to me. See, I've gained five more. And his master said, Well done. That's the glory reward. Faithful and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. That's the responsibility reward. Enter into the joy of your master. That's the joy reward. The one who had two, he came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. <clears throat> the reward in everything is exactly the same. The one with two, the one with five. So uh, we all are given different opportunities, different resources. It's what we do with what he's given us uh, that matters when we get there. And then dropping down to the one, the one who... The one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seeds. I was afraid, went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. How'd you like to hear that at the judgment seat of Christ? And somebody can say, Just getting in is good enough. I don't want to get in and hear that. You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow, gather where I scattered no seed, then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received it with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him, give it to the one who has the ten talents, for everyone who has more shall be given. He will have an abundance, but from the one who does not have, <clears throat> even what he does have shall be taken away. And throw out the worthless slave into outer darkness. You know, the average person just reading through that thinks that's hell. Well, this is one of his servants. You don't go to hell because you managed his resources. Uh, he's talking about, that's the dude clear over there. He's a long ways away from Jesus. He's in 
South Dakota or North Dakota, wherever, huh? Sorry about that. <laughs> Weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know what that is? That's regret. Boy, I could have. I should have. Too late. Number 12, there will be a unique and separate judgment for those who are part of Israel. Same basic thing, but they will be judged as a unique group of people, even as we are as the church. Ezekiel, therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his conduct, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away from your transgression, so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Ezekiel 20. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with wrath poured out, I shall be king over you. I will bring you out from the people, gather you from the lands where you are scattered, and with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with a wrath poured out, I will bring you into the wilderness of, of the peoples. There I will enter into judgment with you face to face. I will enter into judgment with you face to face as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the, into the bond of the covenant, and I will purge from you the rebels and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they <clears throat> sojourn. So we'll jump to uh, number 13. I'm running out of time here. <clears throat> the judgment of Israel will determine who is in and out the millennium, and also a judgment to determine rewards of position, possession, and praise, which we talked about. So the judgment they experience as a nation of Israel will be very similar uh, to what we experience. If you look up all the verses in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Ezekiel, about the judgment of Israel, there's over 50, a lot of them. Number 14, i got some good verses to read there, but we're going to jump over those. 14, this judgment will include those who are alive at the second coming of Jesus and those who are resurrected. That's this resurrection for the nation of Israel. So there will be Israelites that are alive when Jesus comes back after the end of the tribulation. The tribulation has a primary purpose, that is, to convince all of Israel that Jesus is the Messiah. And at the end of the tribulation... All of Israel will be saved. Jesus comes back, they will enter into the kingdom. But there are those who have already died. They will be resurrected, and they will go through this judgment as well. <clears throat> Fifteen, there is another judgment called the sheep and goat judgment. And this will happen at the end of the tribulation. And it's for anybody and everybody that it's alive at the end of the tribulation. It's called in the Old Testament the judgment of the Gentiles, judgment of the Gentile nations. In the New Testament, it's called the sheep and goat judgment. Matthew 25, 31, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, that's the second coming at the end of the tribulation. We've got the two comings. The first one, the rapture. Uh, before the tribulation, he doesn't come to the earth. We meet him in the air. Then the tribulation. Then he comes back, and he's the conqueror on his white horse. We're coming with him, and he defeats the enemy. 
uh, the battle at Armageddon and uh, the kingdom is established. And so he says that here. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and He will put the sheep on His right, the goats on the left. The king will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. Naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you, thirsty, give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Naked and clothe you, when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine. So you can read right over that, but that would be the, the Jewish, the Israelite people that are on the earth during the tribulation. The devil is trying to kill them. The Antichrist is trying to kill them. They're under great persecution, worse than Hitler. And so certain people protect them and feed them and take care of them. That's these guys right here. And because they help protect the Jews during the tribulation, they come into the millennium alive. They have physical bodies um, and they will live there. 16, this is simply a judgment of in or out based on how they treated the Israelites during the tribulation. <clears throat> 17, these people will enter the millennium with physical bodies, have babies, live and work much like now, but in a world with no curse, no devil, a perfect government. So there will be a population explosion because there's no diseases, no wars. 18, the last judgment will be the great white throne judgment which will occur after the millennium. So question, are you going to be at the great white throne judgment? Answer, no. You won't be at the, great, the sheep and goat judgment either. The only judgment that we face is the one immediately following death and then the judgment seat of Christ. Revelation 27, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. Can you believe that? They have just had a thousand years, or depending on where they were born at, of no curse, no ice storms, no corona, no lockdowns, no taxes, no war, a limit of fish every day. I mean, it's like, cool. Jesus is ruling the world. We're ruling with Him. Perfect, just, everything is great. But still, they rebel. 
Satan convinces them. And the number is not just a few. It's like the sand of the seashore. They came up on the broad plain of the earth, surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. That's not a long war. Pretty short war. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beasts and the false prophet are also. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the book according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged. That means every person has ever died in the history of the world, all of them that weren't believers, uh, are there. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 19, during the millennium, all of, all of those who are alive physically will have either become followers of Jesus or not. So you're born during the millennium kingdom. Your parents were part of the sheep goat judgment they were in. They had kids and kids and kids. Well, those kids are not automatically in just because they're born during the millennium. Each one of them has to decide to follow Jesus or not. And then when the devil is released, all those who didn't will be following him. Number 20. The great white throne judgment will also determine the level of punishment that those going into the lake of fire will receive. <clears throat> this really isn't the point that matters to us. We won't be there. But it's, it's an issue of God's justice. Matthew 10, 15, truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. More tolerable. There's levels of punishment. Matthew eleven twenty one. 21, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that occurred in Tyre and Sidon which occurred in you, they would have re repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would, not, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. God is a just God. So, for me, I die. God says, you're in. We have a great time. And then we come back. Or, uh, and those who are still alive... Uh, come to meet us in the air and we all head off to heaven and we go to the judgment seat of Christ. So that judgment is what matters to me. The day I stand before Jesus and I'm recompensed, rewarded for the deeds I've done in the body, whether good or bad. And so every morning, every morning, every morning, without fail, I get up and I say, today, I'm living it like it's the last one I have. Before I stand before you and give an account of my life and am recompense rewarded for the deeds I've done in the body, whether good or bad, Lord, I can't do anything that matters without your strength. Would you fill me with your spirit? 
Give me the strength to serve you well today. Grant me the wisdom to know what to do in every circumstance, every situation you put me in. And Lord, I'll choose to follow you with everything I've got today, uh, to pursue righteousness and to bear much fruit for your glory, thus proving that I'm your disciple. Every morning, every morning, every morning. And so it's because of that little prayer in the morning that uh, I'm motivated. And I write in my journal, Lord, help me to find a higher gear. I've gotten used to this one. I'm kind of cruising along. Let me find another one and another one. And please, Lord, help me to resist the urge to just coast because I'm an old man. I can, I can do. I can still do. I can still accomplish. I can still talk. I can still write. I can still make a difference. Grant me opportunities, please. And if you're not going to give me anything more to do, then kill me. But if I'm here, please use me to bear much fruit. So that hasn't anything to do with getting into heaven. That's not legalism. That's just recognizing that I'm going to give an account. And I want to be like him as much as possible and bear as much fruit as possible. Jesus said, if you bear a little fruit, the Father, the vine dresser, he will prune you so you can bear more fruit, so you can bear more. And so he's given us the resources. We've had the Spirit of God. We have the power of prayer. Uh, we've got his word, and he will open up doors and opportunities right and left if we're faithful with what he gives us. And we don't just coast, say, I'm in. Who cares about anything else? That's, there's a reason to care. It really is. So we'll press on to maturity and press on to bear as much fruit as we possibly can. And so don't ever make the excuse, well, I'm just in the wrong place at the wrong time or I don't know a lot. I can't sing. I can't preach. I can't teach. Uh, God can give you so many opportunities and give you so many resources and equip you in such a way all he needs is somebody that has a desire. And then he'll do great things through your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you that you sent Jesus. We could have never even come close to earning our way to heaven. You took care of that. You paid the price. We've been redeemed, and now we, because of faith, accepting that free gift, we're in your family. And you want us to grow, to become like you, to bear much fruit for you, and you've given us everything that we need to do a great job with our life. We just have to choose, and I pray that each of us will choose every day to follow you, to serve you. <clears throat> we do ask for your power, your wisdom, your direction, open doors. Use us for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.